Show number 65 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. We're podcasting and it's light outside. I'm confused. <laughs> it's a Don't worry. He'll take care of us. Oh, he'll me, take care of us. Me, cardboard Kirk, save me. <laughs> save little cardboard Lena. Save us, save us. Okay, show number 65. Yes. Wow. And soon we will have as many shows as Bill has had birthdays. Wow. That's very exciting. It is. And it was just recently Bill's birthday. It was. And And Kirk's birthday. And Kirk's birthday. And your birthday. (gasps) It was my birthday. Which brings us to our first topic. I have a present for you. Now, it's only... You're getting a two-part present. The other part's in the mail. Oh, okay. We're dragging your birthday out a few weeks. Okay. This present is probably only slightly better than the bottle of ketchup. <laughs> Yay! So don't, but I love the bottle of ketchup. <laughs> so don't get your hopes up. I wrote you a story. <gasps> Yay! But don't get your hopes up. <laughs> but it's a story and you wrote it. And it's for you. Are you ready? I am so ready. Yeah. Oh, thank you. This is wonderful. I'm so excited. I'm going to read I this I wish people you. could see how excited I am. I'm like <laughs> clutching my hands like Mr. Burns in front of my face. She's all a quiver. Okay, the name of this story mm-hmm. is Stardate 5423.5. Okay. Do you know what episode it's based on? No. You flunk. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a good Trekkie. <laughs> okay, here's your story. The kiss was long. Holding Odonna in his arms, Kirk was glad to have her with him, despite his suspicion that she knew more than she had told him. It was strange how she'd appeared just as he was thinking he'd almost rather encounter an enemy than continue to search for his crew. He'd been just about to enter his cabin when she danced into the corridor. Her face wrapped with wonder, she'd almost seemed to float as she raised her arms and spun around. Together they tried to solve their mysteries. What had happened to his crew? Where had she come from, and how had she gotten aboard his ship? Finding no answers, they'd finally stood together on the bridge, watching the stars glide by. It was a sight that he usually loved, but now its cool silence deepened his frustration. It's beautiful. Odana's voice startled him. He turned her to him, intending to demand answers, willing to shake her until her teeth rattled, if that's what it would take. But his determination couldn't withstand the glow of her happiness, so obviously genuine, and more surprisingly, so obviously new to her. He remembered her asking if he could make it last forever. He had responded with a playful assessment of the ship's power and food supplies, but he realized now that she hadn't been flirting with him. She truly hoped he had the power to grant her wish. Forever, she had sighed. The kiss was very long. As they entered the turbo lift, she asked, Where are we going? My quarters. The room I was near when you showed up. Is it a large room? I have to scroll here. My page down didn't work. Is it a large room? Large enough, he murmured as he nuzzled her neck. What's the biggest room on the ship? That's where I want to go. Well, the hangar deck, but it's not very comfortable. Please... She pressed her cheek to his and repeated softly, Please? The hangar deck it is. As they approached the doors, he said, I'm warning you, it's just a big empty room. 
It sounds perfect. The doors opened and... Surprise! The deck was packed with people. Spock, McCoy, Scotty, Uhura, and apparently most of the crew. A banner was hung from the ceiling. Happy birthday, Captain Kirk! As music began playing, McCoy pulled Kirk into the laughing crowd and a drink was pushed into his hand. Happy birthday, Jim. Bones, my birthday isn't... He stopped to think. Well, I'll be damned. It is my birthday. How did I manage to lose track of that? I believe Sulu and Chekhov can take credit for that. Yes, Captain. (laughs) Chekhov stepped forward proudly. I kept changing course, and Mr. Sulu kept slipping in and out of VARP until the stardate was skipping around like a Russian jumping bean. Kirk was about to point out that jumping beans were Mexican when Scotty clapped him on the back. Aye, those lads drove us in more circles than I would have thought possible. And you had nothing to do with it, Kirk asked. Well, I might have done a wee bit of tinkering with the ship's chronometer, sir. But that was nothing compared to Mr. Spock's contribution. Spock? Kirk turned to the first officer. You were part of all this? Indeed, Captain. I trust you were sufficiently surprised. I told him that a surprise party is one of Earth's oldest traditions, McCoy said as he gave Kirk a knowing look. I see. Yes, Mr. Spock, it was more than sufficient. But what was your contribution? I coordinated the crew's movements to make it appear that the ship was empty. It was quite challenging. You did not search in a logical manner, Captain. My apologies, Mr. Spock. But Bones, he drew the doctor aside. Who was the girl? I think I'll let her introduce herself. Odana? She emerged from the crowd and snapped to attention in front of Kirk. Lieutenant Donna O'Donna, sir, ship's interpretive dancer. I just came aboard two weeks ago. Kirk grinned. At ease, Lieutenant. I have a question for you. He reached for her hand, but McCoy took his arm and led him to a table where Uhura was lighting the candles on the birthday cake. Time to cut the cake, McCoy said. Kirk reached for the nearby knife, but Uhura asked, Captain, aren't you going to make a wish? He eyed the happy faces of his crew, muttered, I wish I knew who thought this whole thing up, (laughs) and drew a deep breath. After he'd blown out the candles and acknowledged the applause, he scooped up a bit of stray icing and licked it off his fingertip. Mmm, delicious. Then he strode to the bulkhead and flipped the comm switch. Attention all hands, this is the captain. There will be no cake until the instigator of this deception confesses. That is all. He turned off the comm and waited out the groans. Well? It was me, sir. Uhura approached him with a guilty smile. Lieutenant, he said as he began pacing around her, I applaud your ingenuity, but don't you think you went a bit overboard? The empty ship, the Gideons. Are we even orbiting Gideon? He turned to Spock, who said, It was a most effective ruse. He means it worked, McCoy said. (laughs) You didn't know you were on your way to a surprise party. Hell, you didn't even know it was your birthday. And you're not an easy man to fool. Dr. Flattery will get you, Kirk returned to the table, a piece of cake. He cut off a large corner piece, but as McCoy reached for it, Kirk pulled it away, saying, The first piece should go to the mastermind. 
Lieutenant. He handed it to Uhura. Thank you, Captain. I wouldn't have guessed you had it in you. It wasn't that difficult, sir. After all, there's really only one way to set up a surprise. And that is, it has to seem like an ordinary day. An ordinary day, Kirk repeated slowly. Yes, sir. An ordinary day on the Enterprise. Kirk burst out laughing. Uhura, you take the cake. Thank you, sir. I mean that literally. You take the cake. He handed her the knife. I have a date with an interpretive dancer. The end. Yay! <laughs> that was great! What a great story! <laughs> that was like at the stupid, silly level of fanfic. Oh, but, but that was really good. I, You know, first of all, as soon as you, as soon as I knew which one it was, I had an immediate mental picture of that scene. <laughs> like Bridge, Kirk, O'Donna kissing. So that was just perfect. And I love the way you write the characters because they always sound like themselves without <laughs> sounding like the fanfic versions of themselves. Oh, thank you. So that was really, really wonderful. That was great. And thank you for making Uhura be the one to think of the party. <laughs> well, happy birthday. Thank it you. was a surprise birthday party for Kirk and you. Thank you so much. Now, I have one question about that story. Was Kirk embarrassed when he walked into the hangar? They had this huge heart on. Of course. And everybody was yelling surprise. Yeah, and... but, you know, they all knew the plan, so they knew he would. <laughs> They were ready. They all kind of stood back. And it was just an ordinary day on the Enterprise. Because the captain was walking around with a giant heart <laughs> on his pants. And the whole crew was that's in danger. Right, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Oh, that was great. What a great story. Yay! So, Thank you. I want to share one comment with you. Yeah? Because um, I did post it a little early to get some comments. And uh, this one just totally cracked me up. This came from Joni Ponytail. Okay. She said, I am guessing that the ship needs an interpretive dancer <laughs> in case it encounters a civilization that communicates kinesthetically. <laughs> I think that's true. I think it's great that somebody came up with a reason to have a ship's interpretive dancer. That's awesome. So That's great. Yay. Yay. Thank you so much. I think we can stop the podcast now because I don't think we could top that pretty much. Oh, really? We have a huge <laughs> I list. Know. But that was just so good. Well, do you want to make that our first segment? Um, well, that's ten minutes. Okay, because we have a lot. We do have a lot. Well, let's take a little musical break. And then okay. we'll come back and we'll do all the news. And people can kind of cogitate on how great that story was. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. We want to hear from you. Leave comments at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. Send email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com. This entire podcast recorded on an Apple PowerBook with GarageBand. This is TSFPN.com, the sci-fi podcast network. you found the best podcast in the universe. He is the toughest guy in the world. He, yeah. No competition. Okay, so up on the blog, we had a link where you could go vote mm-hmm. for Bill to beat um, Johnny Cash. 
Now, first of all, i got to point out, Johnny Cash is dead. So, of course, <laughs> Bill can beat him. It's sort of a conceptual toughest guy thing, okay. I think. But here's the other thing. Look at the picture of Johnny Cash. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's Johnny Cash. Really? I think it's Joaquin Phoenix playing Johnny Cash in the movie. Oh, you could be right about that. I'm looking at it very carefully now. It could be. Huh. You could be right. Yeah. So, um, here's some information on it. You can vote as many times as you want. We've Every voted day. several times. So, the con- I don't understand this. The contest will end on Sunday evening until he is in the final two. Then it will resume until he is victorious. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, and then it says, oh, some of the listeners to the radio spot have made comments, and I quote, this is to all the spider-having, snake-owning, living-in-your-mother's-basement Shatner fans. <laughs> snake-having. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of weird. So um, so we voted a whole bunch. And right now, William Shatner is beating Johnny Cash at 52.57%. Okay, well, I'm going to go vote again. Okay. So just to give you an idea, in case you didn't have a chance to look at the um, the image that I posted, this is who Bill beat to get to this position. Oh, yeah. So uh, it was him against Mr. T, um, and then he ended up beating Lou Ferrigno. Now, Lou Ferrigno had to beat David Hasselhoff. Not much of a contest. Are you sure... Yeah, I'm reading it. Turn around. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> oh, all right. I'm not making this up. Okay. And, and then, to get to where he is, Johnny Cash had to beat Gene Simmons. Easy. The movie actress? No. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been tough. Remember on Saturday Night Live when these two celebrity weightlifting? Yes. <laughs> um, Alice Cooper and Ted Nugent, and Ted Nugent won, and then Johnny Cash beat Ted Nugent. Now, on the other side... Um, there was Chuck Norris versus Bruce Willis, and of course Chuck Norris won. Denzel Washington versus Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood won, and then Clint Eastwood versus Chuck Norris, and Clint Eastwood won. Um, then on the other side of that, there was um, Ed O'Neill versus Henry Winkler. Of course, Ed O'Neill won. <laughs> Ricky Schroeder versus Tony Danza, and Ricky Schroeder won. Which That's pretty really surprising. <laughs> and then Ed O'Neill versus Ricky Schroeder, and Ed O'Neill won. So um, uh, in the other league, it's Ed O'Neill versus Clint Eastwood, and that's going to be one of them versus William Shatner, we think. We think. We think, yeah. And if I can just vote, like, one more time here... Yeah, we I'll just get it up have to, to keep um, voting. Oops, i got to do it once more. Yeah, because Bill has to win. And they actually chose a really nice picture of him, too, mm-hmm. looking all Kirkish. Let's see. I'm going to vote, too. <sighs> I'm trying to get it up to 52.6. It's at 52.59. It's at 52.59 for me, too. Well, we'll keep voting, and by the time we do the last segment of the show, we'll let you know what the percentage is. Okay, so get out there and vote. Vote yeah. early, vote often. For Bill. Vote for Bill. Vote okay. for Bill. So, um, what was the other thing we were going to talk about? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> well, there's some quick news. Bill is doing a recording <laughs> of him reading selections from the book of Exodus. Yeah, with an orchestra. With an orchestra. And singers. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to be singing. I know what they're going to be singing. What? The theme from Exodus. <laughs> this land is mine. Remember that? Or they might be doing selections from um, the... Uh, uh, soundtrack to the Ten Commandments. <gasps> Ooh, <laughs> that would be pretty good, too. That would be pretty cool. Okay, yeah. Um, so there's that. And, wasn't Bill in a movie with Ann Baxter? Moses. Yeah. Was Bill in a movie with Ann Baxter? Oh, it's making noise at you. 
That's because I just clicked over to Shatter oh, Vision. Oh, Vision. Anyway, Ooh, I thought I there was a movie that Bill was in with Ann Baxter, and I thought um, we wondered whether he did her. Of course he did her. I'm trying to think what movie it was. I don't know. Um, I want to talk for a little bit about all the fantastic things that are up on Shatner Vision. Shatner Vision amazes me. They just post so much stuff, and Bill has an endless stream of things. There's something every single day. Um, in recent ones, he talks about um, how once to to do one of the, the uh, balcony scenes, he had to smoke 20 cigars. Oh, my God. And listen to this. He says he was violently ill. <laughs> he hasn't been that sick since he was six years old when he ate a bad... Soft center chocolate. <laughs> he talks about um, Denny Crane's wardrobe. He he talks about um, doing the paramotoring, and this this just fits right into the theme. He's always talking about his adventures, and uh, and his daughter's always going, "Why did you do that? <laughs> Isn't that dangerous?" Um, they posted a backstage visit of him. Um, Going to the Henry Rollins show. He taped an appearance. <laughs> That's going to be on in May. But you can see a little thing of uh, him talking to Henry backstage if you go to Shatner Vision. So that's cool. Um, he talks about the latest Star Trek rumor. He uh, gets birthday greetings. There's just all kinds of stuff. It's, it's really, really fun. So you should be subscribed to that so you get something uh, totally. every day. I mean, we would be posting it, but it w- we would have to be posting every 10 minutes yeah, <laughs> or something like that. No, but if you subscribe, they'll send you a thing every time a new one comes out. It's true. And you can see them in other places. I think that they've been distributed um, to YouTube and some other places because I've actually seen them linked from places that aren't Shatner Vision. Oh, okay, cool. So I think cool. people have, have done that. Hey, those percentages went down. Uh, how did that happen? Somebody must have voted for the other guy. <gasps> Who would do a thing like that? Oh, the Johnny Cash fans. Um, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about the um, the the auction. Yes, there was an online auction, mm-hmm. and we posted a link to that too. Okay. Yes. Yes. We did. So people could see what it was you were you were going for, and it was for charity. And uh, what you were bidding on was a visit to the Boston legal set and to have a cigar with Bill, hopefully mm-hmm. not involving being violently <laughs> ill. And the auction closed. It went for $16,500. That's amazing. There were like 19 bids. Uh-huh. And right about in the middle, there was a guy named Big Bidder who bid against himself. <laughs> he was so excited. <laughs> I gotta win this. He bid and he went, Somebody bid the same amount as me. I have to beat them. <laughs> oh, I was thinking. That was me. <laughs> Oops. Oops. But then he dropped out after that. He didn't. Because he was embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As well he should be. So that was pretty exciting. That is very exciting. I hope the person who won um, blogs about it or something, or we just at least get to read somewhere right. what a great experience it was, and or maybe it'll be covered on Shatner Vision. It probably will be covered on Shatner Vision. Well, remember, that was one of the things you could um, bid on at the the horse show right. last year. Right. We never heard mm-hmm. anything about who won that or what it was like. So I would just love to read about that. That would be pretty awesome. Because, mm-hmm. of course, we have been there. Yeah. We touched the line. We were there. Yeah, so that was really cool. Now, coming up, mm-hmm. Bill being everywhere, um, the Shatner Show. Yeah, the Shatner Show. Um, I, I was going to get it up here so we could look at it while we were 
talking about it. So why don't I try and find it? Or do you have it? <laughs> the link, the link. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll talk about it while we try and find the link. Okay. Um, I loved your email to me, which essentially said, I don't know what this is, but I'm signing up for it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was, you know, really, really good. Um, it's an art gallery in Canada. And they have, um, a, they do this as a series, I think. It's not just for Bill. But they invite artists to um, paint pictures of whoever their chosen subject is. Mm-hmm. And they've done this before, and this time they have chosen Bill, and it's called The Shatner Show. And they have the coolest, beautiful poster. It's just awesome. So it's June, July, and August of 2007. I think right now they've been soliciting and they've been getting a lot of their uh, art in, and then mm-hmm. they're going to hang it through June, July, and August so people can go see it. Of course, it's in Canada, so we can't go. Right. It's in um, Calgary, Alberta. But they are putting out a book, apparently, of yes. the art, and that is available, um, or will be available soon for pre-order, mm-hmm. and it will be published at the end of May. Um, <laughs> they <laughs> have a new one. Some, uh, some samples of stuff they have received. This one, I think, is oh, gorgeous. it's amazing. It's a beautiful um, painting of Bill, kind of um, backstage, leaning against his dressing room table. Mm-hmm. And he's just, he's dressed sort of casually but nice he's wearing a suit jacket and he's just kind of sitting there got a cigarette in his fingers just kind of looking with a drink he looks like frank sinatra yeah but he looks like bill but he looks like bill i don't mean he looks physically like him. he just <laughs> that's a pretty funny that's one. sort of like young bill as charlie x yeah Oops, okay um there is a quote on the site at the top though that i want to share with everyone it is um we were basically one and the same, although Jim Kirk was just about perfect. And, of course, I am perfect. <laughs> Obviously, that came from Bill. It is so but, good. So one of the things you can do is to be a sponsor for mm-hmm. this show by giving them some fairly large amount of money, and you get a free copy of the book for doing that. Um, neither of us have enough money to do that, but I think we are going to get the book, and I'm going to try to see if we can interview the people who are putting this show together, because I think it would be mm-hmm. wonderful to talk to them about why they chose him and what their motivations were. and what the resp- I would love to know what the response has been from the artists, because they got some huge amount of artists to do this, and they yeah, all... Yeah, it's just over 70. 70 artists, and what we've seen so far is just wonderful. I mean, really, really wonderful. You should read some of the comments on, on the, the well, back. I, I want to read you this part, though, first. It says, um, to help with the initial production cost of the hardcover full-color book, we are looking for Send Me the right. Bill patrons. For $250, you will be placed in the order received on a VIP list. These patrons will be able to put their investment toward the purchase of the artwork right. of their choice. Please note that Mr. Shatner will get first dibs, and then you also get the free book. So, um, all right, so we should mention that, that all the artwork will be for sale after the show's over. Um, I am very curious to see how much some of this art goes for. I think we should be listed as some Shatner inspiration, because they're listing Priceline commercials, Shatner Vision, his website, um, IMDb, Wikipedia, YouTube... Well, check out this slideshow. Where have all the good men gone? We haven't been to that. Should we look at it? Let's look at that right now. Okay. Um, Sad to say, the clip of Bill um, with his 50 years in television is gone from YouTube. (gasps) Yep, I checked. I looked all over for it the other day. So if you didn't get to see it, That was so fantabulous. Maybe one day we'll find it somewhere This is loading. 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 Maybe I just have to hit play. Sometimes it takes a long time. But anyway, the Shatner Show stuff is good, so you should all go look at some of the images because they're really beautiful. They are beautiful. And, you know, who better? Really? 
I think this will take a really long time. Okay. Well, we can look at it later. All right. I'll stop that then. Okay. So um, I don't see where, where there are comments on these. There was... I don't know. If you, maybe if you click on that... No, I did. No. It didn't do anything. Oh. I, I remember reading somewhere that there was a, a comment about that particular painting, and, and someone had said... Oh, well, let me, let me look at this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay so, so this is down. actually on a different site. Okay. Oh, it's the artist site. That's what Oh, it okay. Is. Oh, here it is. And here's what... Oh, hey, stop! <laughs> here's what the artist has to say. I was invited to contribute a portrait of William Shatner to the Shatner Show, being hosted by Uppercase Gallery. Seventy-six artists contributed portraits of Shatner in all his glory, <laughs> and Uppercase chose mine and fellow drawer Mark Burkhart's portraits, along with Doug Fraser's, to promote the show and feature on the cover of the book. Instead of portraying him in his Star Trek guise, being well aware of Shatner's widespread fame as a singing sensation, I chose to paint him in his dressing room, reflecting on how lonely it is at the top. I added a nod at his hair issues in the form of a hair dryer. It's beautiful. It, it is really good. There were some comments in here. Yeah. Oh, dead air, really bad. Yeah, really bad. Love it's the hair dryer. It's not a TV show. Yeah. Oh, here. What? This, this one. Okay, uh, Xena. The chocolate brown velvet suit and the red dressing room give the painting a contemporary look. The angle of his face makes him look great and reminds the viewer of his former past without mention it. William Shatner moved on as an entertainer, and you captured Yeah, I thought that that was a really good observation. Yeah, it's true. So, I love that. I wonder how much art like this goes for. It must be really expensive. Well, Shatner pensive? Who would have thought? (laughs) Well, that is an absolutely beautiful, beautiful portrait. Yeah. I think. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll keep you um, apprised of that, and hopefully we can get an interview with these folks. I'm, I'm sure yeah. that they would like us to promote it as much as possible. And we're going to have to get the book and see oh, who captures the charm and hotness. It's true. Um, this one of the three that they're showing, and they have, I, when I went to the site the other day, they had different art up there. Mm-hmm. So they're, I think they're rotating different um, images on right. the home site for Uppercase Gallery, so you can just see some different things. And the others are a little more fun and cartoony, and that's definitely the most serious of the ones that are there. Right, but it is beautiful. And uh, and the, this sort of, yeah, um, what would you call that? Like a collage. A I collage, yeah. yes. Um, on the cover, him at different points in his life. And different interpretations by different artists. Yeah, it's great. Very, it's very beautiful. Great. Yay! Yay! How did you find out about that? Um, Is it on the Shatterports? Maybe. Huh? <laughs> Just curious. <laughs> oh, no, no, I know. Because I get a Google or a Yahoo thing. Oh, an up, alert? Yeah, an, an alert. And, God, there's tons of stuff every day. But a lot of it is, you know, repeats of, sure. of the same thing. And so when I find good stuff, I, you know, flag that for us to be talking about it. That is great. Other good news. Yes. Boston Legal has been renewed. And as Bill points out in uh, talking about this on Shatner Vision, first of all, it was renewed on his birthday, which is (laughs) way cool. But he he points out that um, this will will make four seasons for them. Mm -hmm. And if you get four, you almost always get five. Yes. Because of syndication. So hopefully we have two years of Boston Legal to be looking forward to. Yay! At least two years. Yay! And then it'll be on, um, like, the A&E channel... Forever, every night, because that's what they do when yeah. they go into syndication. Yeah. So we'll get to see Bill all the time. That's right. <laughs> 
So speaking of Boston Legal, yes, should we go watch some, or do you want to do some more of our list? Um, let's see. No, let's let's go watch some. Okay. We we have sort of a, a special thing because we're going to watch Boston Legal, and then we're going to watch something else mm-hmm. that refers to it, and then um, we could just maybe talk about it all together. That would be good. Okay. Yay. Cue the music. totally worthless uh-huh. and let's get on to the real meat okay because it was really good to watch that one um and i think it takes about um, i don't know five or six minutes to fast forward through an entire hour of boston legal yeah just doing it constantly yeah yeah because my tea was brewing and it was it, pretty perfectly yeah. brewed when we finished yeah, that. So that so just in case you were wondering how long it takes to fast forward through an episode of boston legal it's about five or six minutes right so, the one we are going to talk about Yay. was called Son of the Defender. Ah, what a great title. I great that. title. And I'm going to say right up front, I think this was the best episode of Boston Legal ever. And I think an absolutely outstanding piece of television. Yes. And a great, great performance by Bill and great performances by just about everybody else in yes. the episode yes. as well. So, to just kind of recap what went on here... Um, two men come into the office, and one of them introduces himself to Denny, saying, I was your first client. Mm-hmm. And, and Denny remembers him, you know, oh, yeah, you know, um, you defended me with your father. You mm-hmm. and your father defended me. And uh, and he said, and this guy is the son of the woman who was murdered. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got a gun in my back, and he's wearing explosives, and he's going to to, to kill us all. And so the upshot of this is he wants a new trial mm-hmm. there in the office. So they take over a conference room. He grabs uh, Paul, Denise, Bethany, two beauty queens who are there because mm-hmm. they're suing Clarence. each other. Clarence gets them all in a conference room. He throws out Brad and Shirley and says, okay, we have the transcript. I'm going to be the judge. Mr. Crane will, will play Mr. Crane. And uh, Clarence, you're going to read Mm-hmm. The stuff. So they go through the transcript, and and what comes up is at the point at which this guy's father identified the defendant. Denny had pulled a switcheroo mm-hmm. by putting somebody there who looked a lot like him, and so the client got off. Well, just as he's about to send his new jury out to deliberate, the guy says, "I I want to testify." And, uh, and Bill says, well, you didn't, or he says, you didn't trust, testify at the, the old trial. And he said, well, you introduced new evidence. I get to, too. So the guy testifies that the reason he refused to testify at his previous trial was because he's gay and he was visiting his lover. Back in the 50s, you couldn't say that. His mother was in the courtroom. So they go out to deliberate, and Bill and the, the, the defendant and the, the guy stay in the room, and, uh, 
they come back, they, they argue, first of all, should they give him a real verdict or, or what he wants to hear, and they come back and they, they find the defendant not guilty. And the guy gives very moving performance. Mm-hmm. He, he starts crying. He puts the gun to his head. He, the whole thing is he has been holding um, like a remote, mm-hmm. holding the button down, and if he lets it up, they're all going to blow up because he and Danny are both wearing explosives now. And he goes out in the hall, and, of course, the SWAT team and everybody is there, and, and, uh, and Denny comes out and, and says, you know, I believed whatever his name was was innocent, and I still believe it today. And so I did what I felt I had to do. But I didn't think about the effect it would have on your father and, and everybody else. And he apologizes. And he says, let's not ruin any more innocent lives. And so the guy gives the remote to Denny. The police take him away. And Alan, meanwhile, has had a totally pointless case that we're not even going to talk about. The whole point of it was to not have Alan around. Waste, waste. And so they have their, their uh, uh, balcony scene. Why don't you tell about that? It was really interesting. So the trick to this episode, the gimmick was... Yes. They, the reason it's called Son of the Defender was that in 1957, I think that's actually the date for this. I think that this, is. Um, Shatner was in a Westinghouse um, Studio One Playhouse performance with Ralph Bellamy, and thank you for supplying the name of that actor, um, and Steve McQueen. Yes. Called The Defender, which they played a father and son legal team, and they used some very carefully selected clips from that to illustrate Denny remembering what it was like to try this case back in 1957. Specifically to try it with his father. Right, to try it with his father. So that's how the balcony scene is relevant. And they used, I think, uh, there's like three separate clips from that, I think. And they're pretty short, probably Mm -hmm. about 30 seconds or so. And it shows you that there was clearly some conflict between supposedly young Denny Crane and, and Crane Sr., um, so there were some really nice scenes where Denny is supposed to be remembering this and Bill did a really good job of being lost in his thought and people keep having to call his name repeatedly to sort of bring him out of it. So at the end, um, we, we see that his father, who has raised him to be a lawyer, doesn't really understand why he was so hell-bent on letting this guy walk free because his Crane Sr. thought he was guilty and Crane Jr. thought he was innocent. And so... Um, the line he has at the end was really good when Crane Sr. says to him, I I don't really know you, Mm -hmm. which is a pretty strong thing for a father to say to his son, you know, as a fully grown adult. So when Alan and Denny are talking on the balcony, Alan is talking about how his father really disapproved of him. And I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, you know, (laughs) that wasn't shocking. (laughs) It wasn't shocking at all. Just like, oh, well, yeah, sure. You know, um, and Denny says that after the trial was over, his father gave him a big hug, the proud papa, and we I think we see really for the first time him actively lying to Alan. And but but lying in a way where he doesn't want to be found out. Mm-hmm. Cuz we've seen him lie before where it was clear that he was lying and everybody knew he was lying and they were just all agreeing right. to to live with the lie, but in this case, he's really lying to Alan and I'm not sure that we've seen that before. I don't think we have either. Cuz he's pretty honest with mm-hmm. Alan. And they're honest with each other. And um, he kind of keeps it up for a little while, and, and they talk a little bit more, and then there's a silence, and then suddenly he just looks at Alan and he says, my father disowned me. And Alan just looks at him for a minute and kind of tries to absorb this information and says something somewhat flip, like fathers screw him. Mm-hmm. But then closes the scene by saying, I'm proud of you, in, which is 
what a father should be saying. Mm-hmm. And, and Denny says, what do you mean? And he says, I'm just always proud of you, and I thought you should know that. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and then there's a little bit of funny stuff where he says, you know, I don't want to be alone tonight. Will you come over and bring the marshmallows? Mm-hmm. That's funny, but the the emotional stuff there was really done and totally not overplayed. I think that was the best part of that balcony scene was that it could easily have been completely overplayed and melodramatic and maudlin and all that stuff, and it totally wasn't. Yeah. So that that was really good. Um, it was such an outstanding episode, and I, I just have so many thoughts and feelings about it. I'm letting my dog <laughs> in and out for those of you who are wondering what's going on here. Um, but one of the things that, that struck me both times, but especially the second time, was every time we had the flashback, we got this solo piano music yeah. behind it. Mm-hmm. And at the end, or near the end, it started to segue mm-hmm. into the Billy Joel song, right. And So It Goes, which is one of my favorite Billy Joel songs. It has incredibly powerful lyrics. Mm-hmm. But when I was watching it the first time, you know, knowing the lyrics as well as I do, I was thinking... I'm not sure this really fits this episode. But then at the end, the balcony scene, where, as you say, Alan says, I'm proud of you. I always am. The first line of that song is, in every heart there is a room, a sanctuary safe and strong to heal the wounds of lovers past until a new one comes along. Mm. Now, if you get past the lover's part and think about the the injury, that emotional injury that was done to Denny when his father disowned him and how he's held that in all these mm-hmm. years, and then the new one comes along of Alan, it's, it's really a beautiful um, underscoring of it by using that song. Mm-hmm. There were so many things that were just so well juxtaposed there. I mean, they were very lucky to have this footage of Bill, but... The fact that it's now Alan, younger than Denny, who's saying, I'm proud of you. And, in fact, younger than, than um, he's younger than Denny, but w- when that trial happened, the young Denny Crane was younger than Alan. Mm-hmm. So it's really going back, I mean, to him as a very, very young man. Yep. And, you know, the, the stuff in The Defender is, is typically sort of young Shatner, like very full of energy and mm-hmm. kind of playing it really close to the edge of overacting. <laughs> But, but I think you see, um, just as Heap does now, this, this real inner determination to do the right thing mm-hmm. and to, be, um, to, to, to do what his gut is telling him is right and coming up against his father who's kind of saying, no, you can't do that because I don't want you to. Right. And him having this very deep conflict and confusion over wanting to do what he feels is best but also wanting to please his dad at the same time and not being able to do both those things. One of the things I was thinking about, and I really want to get your thoughts on it, is how do you reconcile the young, determined to do the right thing, almost idealistic mm-hmm. Denny Crane, and the Denny Crane we know now, who who loves his courtroom tricks and yeah. hijinks. And I really thought about it, and all I could come up with is that... Because his father disowned him over that case, I think Denny resolved to never emotionally invest in a case hmm. ever again. Which probably contributed hmm. to his success as a lawyer. Yeah. that's. But I think he was really 
very badly burned Mm -hmm. on that case. I think so. I, I think that that's right. And I also think that part of it is just how long he's been a lawyer. Mm-hmm. There's no way that you could maintain that attitude of a whatever he was, 27-year-old, by the time you're, they even say it, by the time you're 73. You know, did mm-hmm. you notice that, that they said yes. his age right at the beginning? I thought yep. that was like a little happy birthday thing to Bill. Yeah. <laughs> Except Bill's older than 73, but that's okay. Um, but just to to have been a lawyer for so long and to have seen all the stuff that he's seen and been involved in all the cases whether it was a decision he made early on or whether it was just what he needed to do to keep being a lawyer, mm-hmm. you know, to, to not be. Because I think we see that with, with the other older lawyers as well. We don't, we don't see Paul in a courtroom case, but we certainly see it with Shirley. She rarely gets involved in the mm-hmm. cases that she's trying. She's a yeah. really good lawyer, but she's always one step removed mm-hmm. from it. And maybe that's just the way you need yeah. to be when you get to be of a certain age and you've right. been doing it for so long. Um, I wanted to comment on the scene at the very beginning when the guy um, takes them all into Denny's office and makes Denny put on the vest. I thought that was an amazing scene because it went from one thing to another so fast. Yes. Bill did an incredible job with that. Like, he is such a good actor sometimes. I cannot believe it. So the guy is telling him to put the vest on and that he takes his finger off the button. They're all going to explode. And Denny starts in with the speech that we've actually heard before mm-hmm. from him. Clients try to kill me all the time. And it's, I don't care because I have the mad cow. And, you know, Denny Crane should go out in a blaze of glory. I don't want to live my life. And the guy says to him um, something like, you're lying to me. And at that point, Denny kind of drops it a little bit. And he says, I want to show you something. And out of his back pocket pulls this enormous gun. (laughs) And it has a laser sight. And he very calmly just cocks it and aims it at the guy's forehead. And the way he went from telling the maudlin story, which we've heard a thousand times Mm -hmm. before, to kind of going, all right, I'm not going to lie to you anymore, to being deadly serious about shooting this guy was quite amazing. I mean, I felt like I got whiplash going mm-hmm. through all those things. And I really thought he was going to shoot the guy. I mean, I I was ready for that to happen. Yeah. And the way he played it so serious, it could have happened at any moment. He just could have blown that guy away. Yep. And he would have if he had been able to do it without blowing everybody else up at the yep. same time. And then his disappointment when he knows it's not going to work and he kind of... I, I cringed a little bit when he slammed the gun down on his desk. Like, oh, God, it's going to go off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bam. But that was, uh, like, it was short. I guess that scene was probably, like, two minutes long. But mm-hmm. it had so much packed into it. That was amazing. Yes, it, it, was, it was great. And I really want to credit the writer or writers on this. Um, the whole flashback thing mm-hmm. of using, you know, footage of young Shatner could have been so gimmicky Mm -hmm. and it wasn't if anything this was one of their their most taught and coherent Mm -hmm. and emotionally valid and gripping Mm -hmm. episodes because they made such good use Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. so i want to read you something oh cool this was an article um and it appeared in the Center Daily, I guess, and I don't know where that is, but it's by Ted Anthony from the Associated Press. Yeah, which is part of Fremont. Um, it's called Oh to Be Young Again and Shatner. <laughs> now, I, I've got to read you this, though, because he has a lot of really interesting things to say. Is it about this episode? Yes. Oops. Uh, I just hit the wrong button. Oh, no. Where did it go? No, that's it. Okay, right okay. Well, I hit the wrong button. Okay. 
There are in television today certain expectations. We know, for example, that most new narrative ground is broken on premium channels like HBO and FX with shows like Deadwood and The Wire. We know that innovation is an endangered species on primetime network TV, and we know that William Shatner these days plays things pretty broadly. Then there was Tuesday night on ABC's Boston Legal, when an elegant piece of television by series creator David E. Kelly proved all three of those axioms true. Um, about what that talks about some of the bad stuff Kelly's done. But what Kelly did do, did for Shatner on Tuesday night, was astonishing, emotional, and even, dare we say it, Emmy-worthy. <laughs> he talks about them um, using the flashback and... Uh, and he gives a, a recap of the, the show, which we're not going going to tell you about, because you've already heard it. Because we did a much better job. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, through the episode, the young Shatner reappears as his older self revisits the trial. Shatner's long-ago performance is subtle, low-key, gentle. All the traits that Denny Crane has occasionally hinted at between his explosions of bombast and prurience. And he calibrates Denny 2007 to match. You'll undoubtedly be seeing more of this technique of, of using old footage. After all, a generation of new technologies and new sensibilities has created a collage culture with a vast pool of raw material at the ready. But Kelly did it so eloquently, so seamlessly, that the melancholy, the story itself, drowned out any gimmick. Even those who consider Shatner fair fodder for ridicule, the abrupt deliveries, the tortured renditions of popular songs, the onanistic Priceline ads... <laughs> would have found it difficult to dismiss the power of this scene. The graying, puffed-up cynic, his idealism poking out so many years later, underscored by actual footage of his young, slender self. At its best, Boston Legal is both cynical and openly sentimental, and as one watcher put it, features one of the only male friendships on network television that isn't a caricature. And this surely was the series at its best, a poignant moment for both Shatner and his character, a glimpse into Denny Crane's humanity, and a reminder that his, this frequently lampooned actor has serious acting chops that overshadow the passage of 50 years and has kept his career going for even mm -hmm. longer than that. Wow, how nice, how well-written, well too. Yes, but I really like that he said that about Kelly setting the bar so high. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that was wonderful, because I agree. But now I want to read you the little postscript. Oh, cool. Ted Anthony is ASAP's editor. One of his, young, one of his youngest son's middle names is Kirk. Yes, that Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he wrote that himself. I bet he did. Oh, that's funny. But I, I totally agree that, you know, for the first foray, foray out into this, mm -hmm. of, of using that, that they... They picked such a perfect thing. They, they picked a person whose career, you know, has all this stuff in the back that you could choose from. They wrote such a wonderful, non-gimmicky story. Mm -hmm. Just beautiful. You know what I couldn't help thinking, though, when I was uh, watching it this time with you? I was thinking, wow, this kind of has some, some parallels to the Captain Pike episode. Because <laughs> they use old footage, right. and they have a trial. <laughs> But nobody's in that weird wheelchair or beeping, beeping their answers. Yeah, and Sean Kenny wasn't in it, so. <laughs> yeah, crazy Pike. <laughs> but that, it was really good. Um, I, I wanted to also say in um, that uh, Renee did a great job as Paul, I thought. Mm -hmm. um, 
he didn't have a, a ton of lines, but um, his presence in the Paul's presence in the, the jury, putting quotes around it, the jury room was really good. Yes. Being the senior guy and sort of keeping control of everything, and him being the one communicating with Shirley, who mm-hmm. was outside there, like he took on that responsibility. Because I was thinking that's pretty dangerous that he's trying to text to her. Like I could have shot him. Yeah. Because he was pretty strict about not wanting any communication mm-hmm. going out, but he took the chance and decided yep. it was important to let them know what was going on. Um, I wish they hadn't played Brad's part so much for laughs. I mean, it wasn't yes. funny, but it wasn't that funny. And actually, that was another Star Trek nod right there. Yes, the duct. The duct. <laughs> Brad, Brad, who gets kicked out of the room, decides he wants to go and see if there's a, an air duct that goes into the room. So he unscrews one and he starts to crawl in. And I was like, oh, no. It's dumb. <laughs> What you would call it? What's the name of the episode? The Hell Noel episode. Yeah, Dagger, Dagger of the Mind. Mind. <laughs> it's Dagger of the Mind all over again. And then, of course, like two seconds into it, he gets stuck. Yep. And the SWAT guys leave him there. Yes. <laughs> yep. We're not going to offer you any assistance because you are almost a Navy SEAL. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Um, but, yeah, that, that was really uh, incredibly well done. Yep. Now, one thing we noticed... And I did. I don't remember noticing this in earlier episodes, so we're thinking this might be the first one. I believe that even though I do not have a high def television, they are shooting in high def now, yes. and you can see it. And now I really do not want to see anything <laughs> shot in high def on an actual high def television, because the the makeup, especially on the women, mm-hmm. was so bad. So I and like Denise, you could see these two little scars on her cheek. Yeah. Never saw those before. Mm-hmm. The woman playing the hooker that Alan was defending, you could tell, uh, you know, had, I don't know, bad acne scars or, or something. Yep. Uh, they didn't do quite as, as bad a job on the men in general, but it, it's hugely different. It is. Um, as Killa once said, do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> because she had started to screen cap DVDs of Star Trek when they were first coming out on DVD, and in some you could really see how bad Spock's makeup was, and she mm-hmm. said, there sometimes is a, such a thing as too much definition. Yep. <laughs> I remember that. That was like six yep. years ago when she said that. It was so true. But And I knew exactly what you are talking about. <laughs> but I read somewhere about this, about how everyone in television yeah. is in a panic over this, and it could mean the end of the close-up. But also they're exploring new makeup techniques yeah. that um, basically are more like airbrushing rather yeah. than, you know... Wiping, it, wiping on. it on. Well, I also think they need to figure out the lighting. Yeah. Because the lighting, I, I think you're right, because the lighting in, in Alan's story was mostly, it was so boring. It was like a pinter play. The two of them are sitting in a jail cell, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> shut up. And the lighting was supposed to be that sort of moody jail cell lighting. And it looked so fake. It yeah. looked so stagey. And yeah. the lighting that they had for um, the rest of the show was better, but... Um, I, I, yeah, I think they need to work it out. They're not well, quite there. Okay, consider what early television looked like. Yeah. <laughs> okay, because we just saw some. Yeah, yeah. And it took 20 years after that to get sophisticated enough to do Kirk light. <laughs> so now we're at this. So we can expect to not see something that gorgeous yeah. for another, until 2027. <laughs> oh, my God. That's an awfully long time to wait. Yeah. Moore's Law, things should go faster. Well... Luckily, we have all these great DVDs. We can look at all the Kirk light we need to look at at any time. It's true. Well, now we're going to take another little break. Mm-hmm. And should we say what we're going to do? Yes. Um, this this happened um, sort of by coincidence, actually, because we've had this for a while and we haven't watched it. We have the 1957 The Defender 
with William Shatner and Ralph Bellamy and Steve McQueen, and we're going to go watch it. Yes. And see if it had anything to do with anything that's even remotely connected to this episode of Boston Legal. doesn't right. matter. No, it but, doesn't. But we want to watch it anyway. Um, it just was really funny that we had gotten this a while ago and just not had gotten around to it, and now they are doing this very thing on Boston Legal. Yay! Totally karmic. So, so we're going to make popcorn and yeah. watch Young Shatner. Watch Young Shatner. Young Lawyerly Shatner. long. I know. God damn. And we already knew what was going to happen, which <laughs> made it harder. So, uh... So, the Boston <laughs> Legal... I don't know what to say. The Boston Legal interpretation of this was actually very true to what happened. It's true. That's true. They, they really stuck to it. And in fact... During Boston Legal, when they were reading the court transcripts, I mm-hmm. think a lot of it was actually taken from the script. I think so, too. I thought was kind of cool. Um, the, the only significant change was in Boston Legal, they said Denny was the one questioning the witness when they, you know, right. pointed out that that's not the real guy. Mm-hmm. And in this, um, it was the father. So he had won the father over to his point of view. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in Boston Legal, they had him disown his son. Right. And uh, I I like the Boston legal interpretation of that. <laughs> I did too. This was, first of all, it was two hours and um, we didn't realize it, but it was um, part one and part two. So it wasn't two hours in a row on TV in 1957. It was <laughs> on a weekly basis. And um, as I said, I think it would have been better if it had been a show that was less about Ralph Bellamy and more about William Shatner. And right. you, you accurately pointed out that that's true for everything that he's in. <laughs> <laughs> and many things he's not in. Um, we do have to point out that we believe this was Bill's first toupee. It was bad. And I noticed that it went from being sort of okay in part one to the two-tone job in part two. Yeah. So they had somebody far less experienced with hair doing it in the second part. Or the lighting. Lighting can have a huge effect on that. That's true. But it was pretty bad. Yeah. But Bill looked so young. He looked about 16, I think. Yeah. I think he did. And his name was... (laughs) His name was Kenny. Kenny. My God, you've killed Kenny. Kenny. Kenny Preston. <laughs> Kenny Preston. So Ken Preston. So our listener Len Preston should oh, be very, that's very true. happy that's to know that true. he's related. Um, and I have a theory about that name. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, when Ralph Bellamy disowned him, uh-huh. he was so ashamed that he changed, <laughs> he changed his, name his name to name. Danny Crane. Oh, that's so funny. I'm going to look this up on IMDb while we're talking about it. Okay. Um, because... Star Trek people we found, um, <laughs> Mr. Atos. He was the judge. Was the judge oh. from All Our Yesterdays. Uh-huh. Um, 
there was a woman in it who was in Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. Steve McQueen was the defendant. He was the defendant. There were some other people that, um, I know at least one guy was also in Star Trek in some minor role. He, he was a guy who, I've seen him play cops in a lot of um, TV mm-hmm. shows, but I'm sure he was in Star Trek, and I just cannot remember exactly right. what role he played. Uh, Martin Balsam was the prosecuting attorney. Yep. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. And so many of those people you, you know you've seen. I know I've seen the mother in other things. Mm-hmm. And Come on, where is it? I'm going to have to look it up via William Shatner because it's yeah. not coming up this way. Oh, I, it helped because I misspelled it. <laughs> Let's try that again, shall we? It's because my brain was just sort of melted by that whole thing. But I think we've observed this before that um, the pace of television is just so different than to now. Yeah. You know, and, and it was really funny. We were cracking up because um, as we hadn't really realized, there was uh, it was a two-parter. So when they opened part two, they actually had the people in the audience taking the role of... Um, the exposition police. Yes, it was divided <laughs> among many different people to talk about it, yeah. It was almost like one character saying to another, um, remind me what happened in the, in yeah. the trial yesterday. Yeah, and then I, somebody, I wasn't here. I wasn't here. Happened. So help me recap everything that just happened yesterday. Right. So they had to go through it. Now, um, one thing, they had no discussion about whether or not Steve McQueen should testify, mm-hmm. which Boston Legal said they did have... But because he never testified, because he never revealed who did it, um, it's actually kind of, um, it it fits for him to have been gay. It could have. It definitely could have been. And they did, I thought it was interesting that um, they left it, it would work with the way that the guy in Boston Legal, the son of the murdered woman, presented it. Like, mm-hmm. nobody really cared about his father, the husband of right. the murdered woman. It was the same thing in this it show. It was, And yeah. it was very interesting that they focused on, he was the last person that the, the camera mm-hmm. had, that he doesn't know who killed his wife, and he was convinced right. that this was the guy who did it, and he got off, and, you know, his life is still wrecked, and his yep. kid's life is still wrecked. Oh, and they did um, keep the same name for the defendant. It was Joe Gordon. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what they used in Boston Legal. Right. So I'm just looking now through... Um, oh, look, Michael Higgins was in it. Different Michael Higgins. Oh, <laughs> darn! Uh, I'll just run through the cast really quickly here. So Martin Balsam was the uh, prosecutor, Ralph Bellamy. Rudy Bond was Peter D'Agostino. He was the boss, Joe yes. Gordon's boss. Betty Furness as herself. Um, they said this at the end, but we had skipped the commercials. She was in the commercials. She wasn't in this. Right. Um, Russell Hardy, Michael Higgins, Rosette Lenoir, John McGovern, Steve McQueen, Vivian Nathan, Eileen Ryan. Where do we know that name? Oh, from? she's been in like a million things. I just know her okay. name. Milton Salter, William Shatner. Yay! David Stewart. Oh, Ian Wolfe is the name of the guy. Uh, the judge, Mr. Aton. Oh, okay. Yeah, his name. Dolores Sutton. Iggy Wolfington was the court clerk. He was the guy with the big horn rim glasses. Oh, okay. And um, they probably don't list him or go to more. But there was a guy in it whose name I think I may know. This is really pathetic. Oh, yeah? Because he was in the, the Beach Party movie. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if we can find more cast listings here. Whoops. Um, regular cast people, oh. it says. But that was it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, his name was... Um, oh, now I'm forgetting it, and I knew it earlier. I don't know. It wasn't Kobe, but it was something like Kobe. 
But man, that just went on and on. It and did, on. it did, but it was so interesting to see. Um, you know, young Bill, and see his work then, and yep. see that you know, you you didn't see the uh, oh, he's not a very polished actor thing. No, no, none no, of that. no, no. He was totally there, and um, and at that time he would have been twenty seven or twenty eight. Yeah. So he did have a lot of experience. Yeah. But he he was right there, and he um, was very good in the scenes where he wasn't doing anything. When he was listening to other people, he mm-hmm. was really listening to other people. I was noticing that he had a little mannerism, which was that when he was um, sitting at the table listening to the prosecution, he was constantly having his hand in front of his mouth or around mm-hmm. his mouth or something, which was sort of interesting. Yep. Just a little bit of business. Yep. Because we know how... We got to see him smoke a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> he, he pretty much got 110% out of that cigarette, I would say. <laughs> yeah, he didn't drink anything, didn't eat no, anything. No, there were no swallows. Didn't get the girl, but what, he, what girl there was to be gotten. But, but he did um, smoke a cigarette. But he did smoke a cigarette. <laughs> and uh, in the scene with his father, one of the last scenes when, you know, he's finally bringing the father around to his point of view, and they sort of have a little bit of, of emotional reconciliation there, not so much at odds. You could see the charm. Oh, yeah. That smile. Oh, and then at the end when they played their trick. Yes. Um, which, did we say what the trick was? It was the trick they said in Boston oh, Legal. They had a different guy who looked kind right. of like him. So, who we believe was Steve McQueen's stand-in. Yeah, because it looked just like him. But when that happened, and, and we were noticing that it was very much like watching a sporting event or perhaps a boxing match, because the audience was very much a part of the, of the trial. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Going, ooh, oh, 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 like that. So when they the, the people misidentified this guy... Um, Bill looked so happy. I know. He was just chortling. He was <laughs> all excited. Almost rubbing his hands all together. All excited about it. That was pretty funny. But, and you know, having having watched that and, and everything, again, I, I'm even more in awe of what they did on Boston Legal. It's true. You know, plucking the, the gems out of that that supported their story and, and gave Bill such a wonderful chance to shine as yep. an actor. Yep. Oh, that was it was great. So I'm glad we watched that. Um, and so you don't have to, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like impulse, which you know is compulsive viewing. Yeah, th- this was enough. I don't think I need to see this again. No, I don't either. Glad we have it. I have seen a number of screen caps from it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he does look awfully handsome. That one scene was framed really well, where Ralph Bellamy and Martin Balsam are talking, uh-huh, and um, he's in the background, yes. and you can still see him. He looked pretty hot there. Mm-hmm, pretty darn hot. Mm-hmm. So that was good. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, I don't know. I just, I was very, very excited, you know, for you to see the Boston League. Yeah. And I kind of feel like I'm still basking in the glow of that because it was such a great episode and he was so good. He I just, I can't say that enough. He was great. Oh, well. And it, he's got to get another Emmy to yeah. sit by his little fountain and get splashed. <laughs> For that one episode. Oh. Well, when they send out their their tapes that's to Emmy voters, the that's that, the one to that's send. Jeez. Yes. So. All right. I think we're done with this. I think that wraps us for show whatever oh, this oh, is. Oh, wait. We have to do one more thing. What? We have to go check what his <gasps> Oh, right, right, right. So what, what is, what is me, his number? Let me do at? it. Let me do it. I have to reload the page. Okay. In order to vote again, you have to reload the page. Yeah. Well. So we must do it here. All right. William... Shatner, 
point fifty five people are voting for Johnny Cash. Oh no, because they're they're like less than a, or they're only a little over a point apart. So you guys, Shatner fans, you have to get out there and vote. Vote for Bill, please. It's yes, very, he is. Very, he's so very much important. tougher than Johnny he Cash. He is. He's please. gotta be. And you know he could kick Clint Eastwood's ass. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. So go, go and vote for Bill and make him the toughest guy ever.